And welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Wrapping up the week in style with two more schools to preview as we get you set for the 2019 NFL Draft. We got two big ones, Clemson and Wisconsin. So we'll have two special guests coming on the program momentarily. We'll break down those prospects. We'll also take your phone calls at 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. And a reminder... Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. So we're going to hear from Mickey Plyler in a few minutes. He'll break down Clemson. But, Paul, before we get into that, I mean, Clemson, it goes without saying, has a numerous amount of prospects this year. No different than previous years, <laughs> considering they took care of business again in the national championship level. But I think what's appealing about Clemson, we've talked so much about how this is a deep class on the defensive line pass rush specialist group. And Clemson is providing a number of guys at those respective spots. Well, it's not just Clemson with those guys. It's Wisconsin with the hog mollies on the offensive line. Yeah. So we're talking trenches today. What? This is right up your alley. That's <laughs> it really why is. it's no surprise that we're doing these two schools on the day that Paul is one of the calls. <laughs> Trust me, this is not a coincidence at all. Not at all. Wisconsin's got three offensive linemen. That's correct. Who have all played with one another for the last few years. You got Michael Dieter, who's a versatile guy. Edwards is a versatile guy. So uh, that's going to be an interesting conversation, especially if the Giants, and, and we've had these talks on the last few shows, second round, Paul, Offensive lineman's there, a guy who mm -hmm. can play right tackle. One of these three guys could certainly be in the conversation. Well, you have to believe the Giants are going to draft an offensive tackle somewhere in this mix in the first three rounds. I don't think there's much question in my mind about that. I don't know which pick it's going to be, but I really do believe they're going to take one because there's depth and there's value in the first three rounds at offensive tackle, specifically at right tackle. So I, I feel very confident that they're going to get one. By the way... Let's not forget that Zeitler, the Browns offensive lineman who came to the Giants in the Odell Beckham Jr. trade, is also a Wisconsin guy. Yeah. Well, Wisconsin has a tremendous track record, to your point, of producing quality offensive linemen. Joe Thomas, who is mm -hmm. Zeitler's former Browns teammate, recently retired. He's another Wisconsin product. Travis Frederick, the Dallas Cowboys starting center, who unfortunately was sidelined this season dealing with an illness. He's another Wisconsin product. You've heard the statement that they... Grow them on trees. Yes, I in Wisconsin, that. they grow them in the cornfields. Oh, indeed. <laughs> well, that's why they produce offensive linemen, Paul, because of the cornfields. Those big boys eat rather well the last time I checked. <laughs> I, I think that's a big reason why. Yeah, the why. team meal is quite a spread. Yeah, they're not lacking in that department. They know how to produce offensive linemen in the Midwest. So, you know, this is going to be not that other spots that we've had over the last few weeks haven't been insightful, but I think these two schools in particular are appealing because of the need slash value that the Giants may be looking at. Yeah, without question. So we'll start with the Clemson Tigers. And again, defensive-oriented crop uh, coming from this club. And, and we all know how badly the Giants are seeking defensive help. Well, and listen, the Giants have brought in B.J. Goodson in previous years. They've looked the way of Clemson. This is mm -hmm. a school that they certainly have turned to. Brent Venables, great defensive coordinator, has done a lot of heavy lifting with his personnel over the last few years. So it's no surprise that they have a large crop of prospects trying to get into the National Football League this year once again. And we are now joined by a very special guest. They'll break down this Clemson group. Mickey Plyler, he's a sports talk show host on 105.5 The Roar, WCCP-FM in Clemson, South Carolina. Mickey, you got Lance Metal, Paul Dettino here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate the time. How's everything this morning? Everything is great, guys. We've got a spring game, spring game tomorrow and spring days. And she we've got the Masters down here a couple hours away uh, next week. So uh, everything's great in the South right now. Well, more importantly to us, Mickey, is not the guys who are going to be playing in that spring game. It's more about the guys who are going to be playing in this game in the fall, <laughs> the National Football League. And, of course, the New York football giants looking heavily at defensive players. And we know that GM Dave Gittleman is in love with hog mollies, the guys up front. And I guess we should just go right to those guys. My favorite player on the Clemson Tigers last year was Cleland Farrell. I absolutely adore this guy's game, and I thought in the championship game he was just dominant against Jonah Williams, and I've been telling people I'd have no problem if the Giants took him at number six. What say you? 
Yeah, you know, I, I'm. I uh, this is no one another Giants need pass rush. I know it's something that's been a little bit of an issue for them. Well, you're going to get a great pass rusher if this does work out in this way. Cleveland Farrell, he's twitchy. He's a great speed rusher. He's got great moves, but it's not just you know not just pass rush. He's good against the run. He's big enough, yeah. strong enough, athletic enough. But I'll tell you what, I really love more than anything else. You know, if I'm going to invest high pick money, I'm going to invest in the high character guys. We'll talk about several of those guys maybe today, but but this is a guy. His dad's military. Um, always great. He was voted the, the most among the media here to, for, to win the media award for the most media friendly. Always there for you. Uh, they're, you know, they're there for, for uh, you know any kind of charitable work around here. You get a high character guy. Whoever gets him gets not only a great football player, but a guy that you can, you know, you want to put on your, on your season tickets, you want to put on your, your souvenir cups, your billboards. And, you know, nowadays I think that's pretty doggone important, but uh, you're getting a great football player as well. Well, let me let me ask you this about Farrell, because I tell people all the time he's a two-way defensive end. You alluded to that a minute ago. So many pass rushers who are coming off the edge aren't as interested in playing the run. He, he plays the run. He will set the edge. He will get tough with guys. His motor team seems to really have, have a second gear to me. And quite frankly, I love the fact that he excelled against the best competition he went against. And when the spotlight was the brightest, he showed up. Those things count as extra points for me. No doubt about that. You know, some of those defensive ends run themselves out of so many plays and speed rush and they get upfield. It's all about the the stats and the sack numbers and, you know, the contract numbers, all those kind of things. But you're right, against the run, he sets the edge. And he did it for, for, for you know, for three years here. He actually could have left after his retro sophomore year. He got hurt as a true freshman. Uh, he could have left last year, but he came back. He came back for a reason. And, you know, there's a lot of big personalities in that locker room down here, but he was among the biggest. And I could just see that. He's a mature kid. He handles his business. Um, you, if, you know, if it works out, you guys are going to love him. But you're going to love you know, everything he does on the field, everything he does off the field. He is uh, very, very capable of, of, of all the high praise. I know that Gettleman, I know the guys were down here for a pro day. Yep. And, uh, you, know, he, he was, you know, everybody raving about him, the interview process, and not only that, but the speed and the uh, setting the edge and all that. He does everything you're looking for in a defensive end. Mickey, Clemson certainly has a tremendous amount of depth on the defensive front. We're talking about Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, Cleland Farrell, who you mentioned. I'll even throw in Austin Bryant. Big picture question, and then we'll get obviously into details about the individuals. But who in your estimation of those four has the most upside? And who do you think is perhaps a bit underrated that they really haven't yet tapped into his potential? I'm going to add one as far as, as underrated. Uh, I think Albert Huggins, the guy you didn't mention, he didn't start here. But, you know, you got two five-star guys, two first-round, first or second-round draft picks, a defensive tackle in Christian Wilkins and in Dexter Lawrence. You know, Huggins is a guy who did very, very well at the Combine. Um, not many times you get a third defensive tackle. But, you know, somebody's going to get him in the fourth or fifth round. He's going to be a really good player for him. Uh, probably the most underrated guy. Upside, I mean, because Farrell is so twitchy, uh, you know, Brian is not not that not as athletic as Farrell. Now, Brian's really, really good against the run, and, and he had to have some success rushing the passer as well. Wilkins is a guy that, and we'll talk much more about these guys, I'm sure, but Wilkins is a guy that I think can play an in and a 3-4. I'm thinking a 4-3, which I know is, is you know, uh, the guy's looking for a, a pass rushing guy who can push the pocket at defensive tackle. You know, he could do that. He's athletic enough to rush the passer inside. Uh, and then Dexter Lawrence, man, just a big, just a freak of nature. And the guy that really pushes the pocket and really, you know, those quarterbacks don't like that pressure coming right up the face like that. All four of those guys, all five of those guys will be drafted. I think Huggins is the most underrated. Uh, I think Farrell probably has the biggest upside. What does Huggins do that, that, that maybe most people don't see? Well, for, first he's about six four and a half, maybe. I think he measures almost 6'5". That'd be hard to miss. Yeah. <laughs> That's a presence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's a he's a, um, you know, a very athletic 300-pounder. Um, and another one of those, I mean, it sounds like these guys hang out, and it sounds like I'm being redundant with it, but really bright personality and a guy that's, that's sharp, he understands the game. It would be hard to sit the bench and not play as many snaps. He played maybe 300 snaps this year, where those other guys were getting like 600 snaps. But this guy was, was patient. You know, nowadays everybody transfers out. He's a team player. Um, I, I just keep going back to if I'm going to invest my money in somebody, I mean, obviously I want the best football player, but I want somebody who's going to represent the organization, somebody who's going to be there, a professional football player, a man. And that's what really uh, the common thread among all those guys are, is they're very mature, high work ethic. Uh, all those guys, I'll tell you a, a quick story. 
Austin Bryant played with a, a bad shoulder all year long. Uh, Cleveland Farrell played with a bad turf toe all year long. And we never knew about it. Nobody said a word about it. The production mm. didn't show it. Uh, those guys could have sat out. You know, you see guys, they get a little bit hurt in the, in the draft years, and they, and they sit out, and these guys toughed it out. They had a national championship in mind, uh, but they played banged up. Uh, Dexter Lawrence was had foot injury throughout most of his career. Uh, and But they play, they play hard, they show up. You know, you're going to invest money in a guy. You know, uh, a hangnail might keep some of these guys out of college football nowadays. <laughs> these guys played and played hard through a lot of injuries. We're talking with Mickey Plyler, sports talk show host on 105.5 The Roar, WCCPFM in Clemson, South Carolina, previewing the Clemson prospects. You use the term maturity, and to me, that's synonymous specifically, Mickey, with Christian Wilkins. From what I've heard, from what I've read, the locker room presence, the leadership, I mean, people rave about what he brought to the team. What jumped out to you from being around the team over his tenure as to why he stands out specifically in that category more so than what he brings from an X's and O's standpoint? I could talk about him for days. He's, <laughs> he's probably the most unique individual we've had here. Um, and, and we've had a bunch of great players and a bunch of great personalities and a bunch of great people. He's the most interesting one. He's the guy, you know, a 3-0 in every one of his semesters. Uh, he's going to graduate with a graduate degree. he got an undergrad and grad degree here. Uh, he, he's a substitute teacher uh, wow. was part of his graduate degree here. He's a he's a guy who now now Brent Venables. The only thing he's different in some of these guys in that he's a playful guy. He's not very serious very often. He's not uh, you know, he, he, he's serious when he has to be. I don't want to present that way. Venables talks about he's a he's a little on the silly side through stuff. He gave uh, Dabo Swinney a wet willy on the stage of national championship <laughs> picture. <laughs> he's playful. He, he's, he's a guy who I mean you guys will have a blast with him in the media there and following him there of, of just how fun he is and stuff he does. Uh, but with that said, don't let it take away from what kind of football player. He's a, he is a rare athlete. And I'll tell you this, when Clemson was recruiting Christian Wilkins, our, our recruiting director here had up on the board and they're recruiting all, you know, all these five stars all over the country. Uh, you know, from up in Massachusetts, they had his name in, in red ink and a buddy of mine asked him, what is this? And he goes, he's a difference in a national championship. Now, he, he won two national championships here, and, and he, you know, uh, ACC Player of the Years, I mean, ACC Defense Player of the Years, all that kind of stuff. Uh, he's a different personality, but truly one of the most unique, one of the most fun kids I've ever been around. Uh, besides that, everything you're looking for. He's more athletic than Dexter Lawrence. He's not as big as Dexter Lawrence, but, you know, 300-pound kid that moves. They moved him to defensive end in his sophomore year out of need. He played well there. And he's a guy, you know, they, they put him back there at tailback on short yardage. Scores there. He wanted to throw passes, couldn't do that. Catches the ball out of the backfield at 300 pounds. In a spring game last year, they put him at free safety as a, you know, kind of a, he wanted to joke around a little bit. He actually played pretty well on the perimeter. He's a freak of an athlete, but really a truly the most unique kid we've had come through here. You mentioned he's not quite as big as Dexter Lawrence, who I believe clocked in at 342 at the Combine. (laughs) I got to tell you, Mickey, that's big, no matter what league you're playing in. I I see him, obviously, he's a prototype 3-4 nose tackle in this league. Yeah, I can see that. He's a space eater. But, you know, and and we noticed this early in his career. His sophomore year, he had had a foot surgery before and and pins, and and he really has not been as productive the last two years. You know, you just don't know how much of that is was the injury and how much of that was, you know, teams just, you know, him eating space and, and, and taking up double teams. In a lot of cases, though, if you have one great defensive tackle or one great defensive lineman, I would go for the double team argument. However, who are you going to double team, Wilkins or Lawrence or Bryant or Farrell or, or Huggins or some of these guys? He, he pushes the pocket. He's very, very athletic at 342. I know the shuttle times are great. I know the 40 was, was really, really good. I know the bench press was good. I mean, numbers are great. He's a little bit different personality, too. He's a soft-spoken, big teddy bear guy. I know the NFL loves those 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 run stoppers and those space eaters and those guys taking up those blocks. If I'm a linebacker playing behind him, I'm loving having him in front of me. You know, He's going to take up a bunch of blocks. Well, and he did not play in the two playoff games because he tested positive for a performance-enhancing drug. And the reason I bring that up, you know, you've spoken very highly of the character of these guys. Mickey, any concern with that maybe raising a red flag that occurred towards the tail end of his career in terms of testing positive for a performance enhancer? No, and I'll tell you this, you know, in the days where I'm, I'm skeptical, you know, I listen to our politicians, I listen to our, our, our people in the 
are, are, uh, are famous celebrities, and, and nowadays you have to be so jaded and cynical. On this kid, he comes out, and we had three guys. All three of them had surgeries, uh, orthopedic surgeries on, on you know on uh, broken bones and things on these lines. Um, he says he knows has no idea what it was. Uh, the university here has spent thousands of dollars and hundreds of man hours sending stuff to testing labs. You know, one of the theories here is that in these supplements that these, these companies make now, that they don't list all the ingredients in them, or they list it under another name, and then they fold up and their LLCs go away. Dexter Lawrence has looked our meeting in the eye on two or three occasions and has said, honestly, I have no idea you know what that's about. I didn't take anything that I, that I wasn't told to take or supposed to take, or I didn't take anything that I, that I hadn't taken in the past. Um, now, again, it, it, we might, it might come back 10 years from now and say, yeah, uh, you know, I made a mistake. But to this point, he's been an honest kid, an upfront kid. Uh, I was shocked. Our community was shocked. You know, the entire, uh, you know, the community around here just had no idea that was the case. I believe him when he says that now. All the supplements, all the things you take, all the labels that are on stuff, and the NCAA banned list of stuff of what you should or shouldn't do, I think it's an honest mistake. Um, I can tell you this. I would not have any problem whatsoever investing that. No red flags for me. You know, some NFL teams might feel differently, uh, but just seeing the kid around here for three years, I would have zero, zero reservations about that. All right, well, then let's just wrap up the five defensive linemen in a nice, tidy package. Uh, where do you see each of the five guys going roughly based on the scuttlebutt that you've heard around campus? So which guys are we talking about in first-round territory? Which guys maybe in second- or third-round territory? I really believe Christian Wilkins and Cleveland Farrell are first-round talents. You know, just judging yeah. them, I, I don't know a whole lot about the rest of the draft guys, and judging their abilities to what we've had come through here in recent years, and, you know, we've had a lot of kids drafted here, and, and they're – athletic abilities. I think they're first-round talents. Now, you know, trades have, you know, all that. I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know there, but things happen and guys slip or guys rise up. Um, I, I think those are first-round talents. I, I think Dexter Lawrence is a first-round talent. You know, the foot injury uh, that he had before, maybe. Uh, maybe a little bit of red flag there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking late first, maybe maybe second round most likely for him. Uh, Bryant, Bryant didn't work out at the combine and didn't do things at the pro day because of the shoulder. You know, I think Bryant's maybe a third or fourth round guy, but I'll tell you this, if you're not, and, and I think he just had surgery or is going to have surgery here. I hadn't checked on that lately, but if you're looking for a guy down the road, I think he's a steal later on. He's a really, really good, solid football player and someone I know I'd invest in there. And then Huggins is hard to say. I mean, I'm sure some teams are going to fall in love with Huggins. I'm sure some teams, you know, might, might not. All it takes is one, obviously, but, but he's going to be drafted. And I'm thinking that fourth or fifth round for him. All right, let's keep it on defense for a second here. And how about your cornerback, Trayvon Mullen, who uh, has certainly gotten his share of accolades as well. And we know the Giants could use some secondary help. What are your thoughts on him? I like him a lot. Uh, he's a quiet kid. You know, you get all these different personalities come through here. All he does is just go to work, you know, especially at cornerback. I mean, my goodness gracious, how many times you turn it on to see the corners and the wideout jawing? Never saw him jaw. He, he just doesn't do it. He doesn't participate in it. He goes about his work. He's a, uh, I, you know, I think he's pretty good uh, open field tackler. He's, a, I think he's physical enough at the next level. Um, certainly athletic enough. The top end speed is not a major issue. Um, I think he's more of a boundary guy though because he's big enough and strong enough. Has length. Uh, I just feel yeah. like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, he, he against you know, he just does everything. He, he, he's a. Uh, he's not the best corner we've had come through here, but a really solid, dependable guy, assignment-wise. I'll tell you what I like about it. You know, some of these corners, man, they're, they're, they're man guys, and they have other issues. What you want to do, you want to you drop in some zone, you want to cover underneath guys, you want him to, you know, come back over the top in a, in a, you know, a little too deep look or disguise some coverage look or some trap coverage. He does it all. And uh, more than anything else, his ability to tackle in the open field. I think you'll really like that a lot. Uh, second, third round kind of guy, but uh, if you need help in those rounds, if that's, he, he could be a steal for somebody as well. Do, do you like his? Do you like his really run support, work. Mickey? I'm sorry. Do you like his run support? Yes, very. I, I think that's maybe the thing he does best. <laughs> uh, you know, he, but, but, you that's know, a rarity. The thing is, you don't at, at the college level. You know, if you have a good shutdown corner, he didn't see a lot of action over there. So yeah, judging there on, on all the underneath balls on all the. Uh, you know, the swing passing like you see in the college game, the guy getting out, very short t- open field tackler. 
Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Mickey, in terms of targets, because when you look at his opportunistic numbers, interceptions, and so forth, they don't jump off the page. I mean, there's barely anything there. How much is that a product of teams just basically shied away from him versus perhaps the ball was coming at him and he just wasn't making plays? In the middle of his career, he didn't see any action all the balls going his way. As Clemson <laughs> developed another corner in A.J. Terrell, um, a, a guy that, that had the interception in the national championship game, and a guy that you'll, we'll be talking about this time next year, another big physical corner, um, they, they, they you know tend to go over there a little bit more. Um, the thing about Terrell, if there is a weakness on Mullen, is that he does get his hands on you a bunch. And, you know, the NFL game, all that downfield and defensive holding. Yep. And now we're going to review all that stuff, I guess. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're going to, you know, they didn't test him in years um, one and two around here. He got a little bit tested this year. But really, his stats, you know, they're just not going to throw at him a whole lot. And he's not an interception guy. But that might be the biggest compliment you give that, um, you know, if you got a corner having a bunch of interceptions, people think you might pick on him. Uh, people just really shied away from him, especially his first two years. Mark Fields is the other cornerback. How does he compare to Mullen? How much of an upside do you see in him? Fields is a is a uh, interesting study. Um, Fields is a guy that, if you ask in ten years, you might say, "Boy, what a steal this guy was, or what a bust this guy was." The thing about Mark Fields is he's more talented than, than Trayvon Mullen. But they've always had a little bit of an issue around here, just maturity-wise. Just a guy that's just assignment-wise, maturity-wise. You know, sometimes would take a gamble when he didn't have to, go for mm-hmm. a pick when he didn't have to. Uh, the, the the athleticism is, is the last athleticism just says there. His dad played the NFL for years. He he runs better than any any corner we've had here in the last two or three years. It's there, but maturity level now. Does a paycheck motivate him for that? Does uh, does he continue to, to find more maturity? You know, he, he he was not dependable here, and really didn't start here because not because of athleticism or any kind of, of uh, skills. It was all about the maturity level and the dependability of it. You get him in the right system. You get him in the right coach. You get him in the right, you know, with the right mentorship. Maybe uh, you know, he, I think he can excel. But I, he's not a guy like a lot of those other guys. The highest character that I would say I'd invest my money in. We go to the other side of the ball. You got Renfro at wide receiver, who to me, with his size, you know, lack of height, I see him probably as more of a slot guy. Would you agree? Yeah, you know, here's a kid, one of the most interesting kids we come through here, uh, as well. Um, just, just you know, you know how he does it. Uh, I, I have no idea how he does it. He doesn't <laughs> look like a wide receiver. He looks like. Uh, I, I, I tell you a quick story. After the uh, national championship game, the first the first time around, it's just freshman year against Alabama. He catches two national uh, two touchdown passes in the title game. Uh, he goes and plays at a local golf course here, and they ask, uh, "You got to be 16 years old to drive a golf cart." He asked, and they ask for his ID. They don't know who he is. He looks like a chemistry. Student. You know, I mean, he he looks like a bookworm chemistry student, uh, and yet he just makes plays. He gets open, and you know, uh, ten years ago, I'd have told you there's no way this kid's an NFL player. But look around the league, and look at what the Patriots have done, and look yeah. at what the you know the, these possession underneath guys ha- that that have had it. And I know third down guys, um, the, these dependable guys. We, we had Adam Humphreys here. Adam was with the Bucks for a while. I think he, I think he signed with the uh, with the Titans. A few years ago, a few weeks ago, I should say, but he he's an yeah. eighty catch guy, mm-hmm. you know, third down guy, and 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 the run, Renfro is more productive, and a guy that I really feel like is going to be a eight year guy in the league, third down guy, hang around guy, and uh, I don't know how he does it. Uh, he is quick, he he separates in the underneath stuff, he's slippery, um, and despite having the smallest hands of anybody that you'll see. He just catches everything. Go back and look at some of the most athletic catches you've seen here, and they all come from a guy that just doesn't look like an athlete. Well, Mickey, I think you bring up a great point. I'm with you. I mean, I think his toughness also stands out to me, and his smarts. I mean, the adjustments he makes to your point that he's able to get in position to get open, get his hands on the football, and make plays after the catch. And, you know, I thought your example of New England – you see what they did with guys like Julian Edelman, former quarterback, Danny Amendola. You know, there's a place for Walker. a Hunter Renfro. Correct. Walker is another guy. There's a place for a Hunter Renfro to me 
with an NFL team because he'll grind it out. He'll probably, if anything, I was going to ask you, special teams. How much do you think he can contribute there to carve out further of a career? He's, he's a high school quarterback that moved over, you know, high school baseball player, athletic guy, um, walk-on, by the way. He's a former walk-on here. And, but so, in other words, he's one of these guys that will just do all that. He, he did some punt returning, mainly just, you know, just from fielding the football here. Didn't do a whole lot of other special teams work here because he's so, you know, so doggone valuable, uh, you know, as that, as that possession receiver. Again, I, I just look around the league, and, and I can't believe it. I, I can't believe that Edelman and those guys have made the impact that they made on the game. But yeah. on third down, I'll tell you this. You better find him on third down because on third and four, <laughs> uh, the way he reads your defense, how smart he is, he's going to separate, and he doesn't have a lot of have to have a lot of separation because you get it close, he's going to catch the football, he's going to move the chains. Uh, you don't game plan for him, but at the end of the day, you can watch Minka Fitzpatrick. Go back and watch the very first game as a freshman uh, in that national championship game. Minka Fitzpatrick, I know I've got him up in your territory. Mm-hmm. Highly thought of cornerback, he made look silly. And there's no doubt who the most athletic between us two is, who the higher rated, who, you know, who you're going to invest in those uh, might be. But yet, Renfro, two touchdown passes. Against Alabama, I think in his career, I think he had like eight touchdown passes and like 24 catches for like 300-something yards. He, he just he burned an, an NFL defensive back to Alabama every single year. Well, you know, Mickey, before we let you go, I just want to say, see, that, as I said earlier to you about Farrell, that's one of the things that I know scouts put a little extra check mark in the box for when a guy shows right. up in big, big spots. Uh, it, it, that's an intangible that does count for a lot when you get to the show. Yeah, there's no doubt. Let me mention this, too, just, just, just to, uh, to play upon that. That's what you get at Clemson on a lot of these guys now. Um, you know, we saw – now, I remember did a couple of years ago that the Goodsons has played pretty well for you, and Goldman's has been a good steady guy for you. Sure. Yeah. You know, high character guys, they're not going to back down from the moment. Not the most athletic guys there, but they're, they're not going to back down from the moment. Not, the moment's not going to be too big for them. We talked about Deshaun Watson when we visited you guys a couple of years ago about this. Uh, the, the stage is not too big. You think about it, they're, they're built for big games like that. And we'll mention one quick guy, uh, Mitch Hyde on the offensive line. I know you guys need some offensive line help. He's not going to be a first-day pick. I think it's, you know, fourth or fifth-round guy. He started the very first game as a true freshman here at left tackle in this league. And – He's not a road grader. He's not a guy that's going to look great in the combine, great at the pro day or anything on those lines. But quite frankly, and simple, you know, we complicate this game so many times, his guy does not sack the quarterback, and his guy does not make a tackle. Now, again, it's not physically the most impressive-looking thing, but you draw it up, and uh, 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 covering this kid for, I think I'm going to say 50, 58, 59 football games, he's one that, quite frankly, you never talked about because there was no weakness. He's not going to road grade anybody. He's not going to be an all-pro, but he's going to play in the league eight or ten years, and he's going to make somebody a really solid offensive lineman with a fourth or fifth or sixth-round pick. Well, and there's room for those guys in the NFL, specifically teams that need depth and versatile offensive linemen who can be moved around. He is Mickey Plyler, sports talk show host on 105.5 The Roar, WCCP-FM in Clemson, South Carolina. Mickey, as always, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks so much for joining us here on the program. We'll catch you next year, Mickey. Thank you. Sounds great. You guys have a great year this year. You as well. That is Mickey Plyler once again breaking down the Clemson prospects who are getting set to enter the 2019 NFL draft. I think the NFL should just have like what they have in Europe with soccer teams and the low-level teams should drop out. Alabama and Clemson should be allowed to come up and play in the NFL for a year or two because after all, they've got a full team of prospects. Nick Saban has coached the Dolphins, and he's been an assistant in the NFL, so I don't know necessarily whether he's anxious to go up against the powerhouses of football, but it's funny because that soccer parallel has been brought up even in the NBA to punish teams that yes, just it struggle. Has. So sure. It well, it's the D-League, you know. There is the D-League. There is the G-League now, correct? The G-League, yes. yes. The sponsor changed it from D-League to G-League, I'm have aware. have to be politically correct. Oh, we do. We do. To these minor league systems. But we'll uh, get into that a little bit later on on the program. So we just broke down Clemson. Going to make a quick transition to another school that has 
a number of intriguing prospects getting set for the 2019 NFL Draft, and that is the Wisconsin Badgers. We're now joined by Brian Posick, Sports Director, WTSO, the Big 1070 in Madison, Wisconsin. Brian, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino here with you on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate the time. How's everything today? Good, Lance. Thanks for having me on. Hey, great to have you on this morning. And, you know, we were just talking before you came on the program. It's about uh, Wisconsin football and where's the beef? Because you guys certainly have it up front, especially in that offensive line. So before we get down into the nitty-gritty, how about just a thumbnail sketch on, I guess it's Ben Schwal, Dieter, and Edwards, who are getting a lot of praise coming out of the combine. And quite frankly, I've heard people tell me that they think David Edwards is massively underrated in spite of the props that he's received. Yeah, I mean, he's been an All-American, All-Conference player, 6'7", 310 pounds. And, uh, I mean, he's a mauler. I mean, he's he's really, really good in the run game. You know, he played right tackle for Wisconsin, but he's solid in pass protection. Um, you know, he. I do believe, you look at Wisconsin, uh, the, the history of Wisconsin football since Barry Alvarez took over the program uh, in 1990, and they've churned out offensive linemen. The best, uh, Joe Thomas, who just retired from the Cleveland yeah. Browns and a perennial all-pro. But, you know, a couple of guys uh, recently, a few guys recently, uh, have come out and played significant roles with their teams. Ryan Ramchek in New Orleans. Rob Havenstein was in the Super Bowl with the Rams. Kevin Zeitler, the Giants just got him mm-hmm. in that uh, trade with Cleveland. Cleveland. So, I mean, they, it's, it's you know, some people refer to Wisconsin as running back you, and that, I mean, actually you could make a case for that. But offensive line you certainly fits Wisconsin's uh, mold. And Joe Rudolph, who's the offensive coordinator and the offensive line coach, has done a great job under Paul Chris getting these guys ready. But I, I like I like David Edwards a lot. I think he can be a, a solid pro. Benchall, Bo Benchall's a guy, you know, he, he played guard at Wisconsin, 6'6", 315, and he's nasty. Uh, and so you put the size together and the fact he pisses people off or they piss him off, okay, I like him already, right? And then Michael, Michael Dieter, he's 6'6", uh, 320 or so, something like that. Uh, he's played center. He's played guard. He moved to left tackle, then moved back to, to guard this year uh, out of the team's uh, needs. And, and he performed so well in, in any position that he was put in. So really all three of these guys, I, I think, will be solid NFL offensive linemen for many, many years. Now, we know the conference is a conference that does stress power up front in the trenches. I, I'm, I'm not you know, yeah. telling you anything you don't already know. But what is it specifically about those old linemen out of Wisconsin? You mentioned the history and the tradition. Is it something that they just teach the, the pro techniques that allow these yeah. guys to be groomed quicker so that they're ready for the NFL game? No doubt about it. Whether it was Bill Huber back in Barry's days or Bill Callahan, who eventually went on to coach the Raiders and the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and to Joe Rudolph right now, they play, except for the two years when Gary Anderson was coach here a few years back, Wisconsin has played a pro-style offense. It's power-eye running with a fullback. They will use two tight ends. They incorporate or have incorporated their wide receivers more recently because they have better wide receivers than they have had before. But it's, it's all taught. They are taught how to play as a pro while they're in college, and that has them ready for the NFL. And Travis Fredericks, another guy, by the way, that we should mention too, a yeah, product of for sure. has come out of no Wisconsin. So, it. I mean – and one of the most intelligent people you'll ever meet, too. I mean, if he wasn't a football player, he'd be making billions of dollars. And Absolutely. he's making millions now, so I think he's okay. <laughs> yeah. well, I think so. He's got time to get to the billions, Brian. Right now he's working <laughs> yeah. on the billions. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> you brought up David Edwards, who we started with. And the one thing that I find yeah. very interesting about him, Brian, is he was a quarterback, and then he played tight end, and then all of a sudden he becomes a right tackle, which you don't see happen no. very often. What do you attribute? Because... I think this is going to be something that's appealing, I'm sure, to NFL scouts, his versatility, his athleticism. But what do you attribute to how he successfully made that type of a transition? I think it's part of the culture that they have at Wisconsin. When some of these young men that are recruited, and a lot of the big boys come out of the state of Wisconsin, there's no doubt about that. But when they're recruited, they may come in at six foot four and, and 260 pounds and they've been playing division six football in upstate new uh, upstate wisconsin right so when they get them on campus they they see where they where they stand athletically how they handle uh, 
um, different things in game situations. They, they basically figure out their football IQ, and then they, they determine where they're going to put them, where they fit best on the team. I mean, that's the way Wisconsin football has operated. They don't get the, the five- and four-star recruits. They'll get a few. Graham Mertz is a highly touted quarterback that's a freshman that graduated high school early and is going to battle for the starting job this year. But uh, w- what they do is they just, they just develop these young men and determine, okay, you know, at his size, he's got to play here. And they bulk him up and look what they've produced. I mean, it's been amazing. It's just something that Bo Benchall has done, David Edwards has done, Michael Dieter, you knew was going to be an offensive lineman. And, Bo, and Benchall, really, that, that's where they targeted him uh, when he was coming out of high school. He was going to be what they thought would be a, a big tackle, and he certainly is. Where do you see Dieter actually playing when he gets to the NFL? We already understand that he's got great versatility, yeah. but but where do you think his best fit will be? Because that may certainly uh, affect his draft status. Yeah, his, his versatility and his intelligence. So therefore, I could see him playing center. But I think hmm. he's uh, more the, the prototypical guard in the NFL. That's that's where I think he sees he he fits but can play some tackle as well. That, I mean, that's the thing. You're, with Michael Dieter in particular, of the three offensive linemen that are going to go in this draft, somewhere mid-rounds, maybe as high as the third round, who knows, um, Dieter is the most versatile of those three, and he's got a mean streak in, in him as well, and just this desire to continue to get better. And, I mean, he was one of the most consistent offensive linemen the Big Ten has had in the last couple of decades. Brian, you're going to tell me that they can't line him up at wide receiver after what he did against <laughs> Illinois? He, he, he did catch a touchdown pass. Yes, yep. he did against Nebraska a couple of years ago. And he keeps he kept asking Paul Chris to feed him more, feed him more, but it never happened again. It was his one shining light. Yeah, it was a, a nice move up the left sideline there. You feed him anymore, he'll be 400 <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. pounds. Oh, yeah, he, he, he's a nimble. He's nimble for his size. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got great footwork. He does. Actually, all three of them do. I mean, they're... Yeah. They are they're they're good pros. I think they're gonna be good pros because of how they've been taught at the University of Wisconsin. Now on the other side of the ball, Brian, they've got a trio of linebackers who also have draftable grades. Again, I don't know necessarily yeah. how high they're going to go, but these guys are potential make it players. Yeah, Andrew Van Ginkle, an outside linebacker, he was a junior college transfer who, you know, he played well his first season with Wisconsin, which would be his junior year academically. And, uh, and he played well, and you could see that he had something about him that could be effective um, uh, in playing on a, a, you know, a play-by-play basis. But he got hurt in, in the, the second game of the season and really was never able to live up to his potential until the latter part of the year. He's fantastic off the edge. He is so, so athletic. I mean, uh, you know, he actually could be a wide receiver if you needed him to be. He's got some pretty good hands. <laughs> he can really run to the boundary. I like Andrew Van Ginkle a lot. He might be a bit lean for what uh, the NFL is looking for, but he's bulked up, you know, 10 pounds or so since the season ended. So I think he sees that as well. well and Brian, a couple of middle linebackers, too. Brian, they're listing him at 6'3", 241 coming out of the combine. That doesn't sound too light yeah, to me. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. No, but when he, when he played in college, though, he was lean. You know, he did not – he was not 240 pounds. 220? So he's obviously put on – yeah, yeah, probably like that. 225 at the most. Okay. So he's long, right? So, so, that, so you've got that length in him, too, which adds some pounds to him. But, no, he's put on some beef. There's no question since the season ended. But, you know, Edwards – T.J. Edwards and Ryan Conley, a couple of middle linebackers, really, really good. T.J. Edwards, uh, very good athlete. Uh, instinctive. I mean, he he led the team in tackles uh, two years ago when he was, you know, the top linebacker in the Big Ten. And last year, he finished second to Conley, who actually played only 12 games because of an injury. Listen to this injury that Conley had. He had surgery to repair abdominal muscles, the muscles that had pulled from his pubic bone. How comfortable does that sound? Oh, right? wow. <laughs> no, that does not sound good. Oh, but no, Conley no, 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 no. He, he reads plays well. He's fast to the boundary. I, I, you know, Conley may have more, more of the, the uh, get-up-and-go of the two middle linebackers, but uh, T.J. Edwards, I mean, he was, he, was, he was a fantastic college linebacker, and sometimes that's where your career ends. But I think he's going to he'll, – he'll, he'll be selected or signed as a free agent somewhere, and he'll get his chance. We're talking with Brian Posick, Sports Director, WTSO, the Big 1070 in Madison, Wisconsin, previewing the Wisconsin prospects for the upcoming draft. You brought up 
TJ, in terms of his ability to, you know, go sideline to sideline, which I think is certainly appealing. When you look at his statistics, Brian, I mean, he's filled up the stat sheet, interceptions, tackles for loss. But I feel as if maybe sometimes people are overlooking what he could bring to the table with respect to his athleticism, and they feel his smarts makes up for what he's lacking there. I mean, how smart, intellectual of a player is he that he can carve out a lengthy career if there's maybe not as much upside from an athleticism standpoint? Yeah, and we've seen that a lot with middle linebackers, the quarterbacks of the defense, and that's what Edwards has been the last three years at Wisconsin. He is highly intelligent. He is one of the best interviews you could ever have because he engages in you and doesn't just give you, you know, one-liners or cliches. Um, he's, I mean, he was an all-academic performer at Wisconsin, too, while being a starting football player on a really good program. So, no, he's, he's got that for sure. His football IQ is, is ridiculous. And because of that, I, I do think that teams will give him a good look because he's just as smart as can be. I've got one more guy I need to ask about, Lance, and, and it comes down to the fullback who is really a dying breed in the National Football League. Yeah. You just don't see him very much anymore. But Alec Ingold, to me, if you still want to have a fullback in your offense, this guy's pretty tough. He, he would be a guy who I would want in my camp. Yeah, well, well, you know what? He's in the mold of Derek Watt with the San Diego or Los Angeles Chargers now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he and, and the thing is, with, with Alec, he moved from the defensive side of the football to play fullback and, and took it for the team and uh, thrived for the team as a fullback. And, you know, when you look at what Jonathan Taylor has done his first two years at Wisconsin, he's rushed for 4,200 yards. He's had over 600 carries. And while Taylor at times will go single back, Engold has been his leading blocker, and he just demolishes uh, uh, pursuing linebackers and frees, you know, Taylor up to rush for five, six yards per carry. I mean, that's been his career average. But he also can do things out of the backfield that I think would be helpful. He's a very good pass catcher. He's, I, I don't know what the total number is of touchdowns he scored um, in relation to the touches he had at Wisconsin, but it's, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous, like eight to one. And so, he, he, uh, he can do a lot of different things, and if you're in that mold, you know, Saquon Barkley, you know what? There's nothing wrong with, with having a guy sticking his nose in there, <laughs> a young pup like Alec Ingold, and opening holes and maybe creasing a few more for you. Well, and it's interesting you brought up his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, Brian, because Pat Shermer, head coach of the Giants, the one thing he's always said, and the Giants have had a fullback here or there on the roster, their only way that yep. they're keeping a fullback is if he can serve as a receiver and catch the ball. If he can't, then there's no way they're keeping a fullback. So that makes Ingold appealing based on how they've utilized him at Wisconsin based on what you're saying. Yeah, Ingold can catch the ball, and he's a good special teamer too. I mean, Wisconsin's not afraid to put starters out on special teams, and Ingold's one of them, and he's fantastic in that role. Great stuff. Absolutely. He is Brian Posick, Sports Director, WTSO, the Big 1070 in Madison, Wisconsin. Brian, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks so much for coming on the program. Thank you, Brian. All right, have fun. Thanks, guys. You got it. That is Brian Posick once again weighing in on the Wisconsin products. A lot of offensive linemen and a handful of linebackers. We just talked to guys who watched two programs on a day-in and day-out basis, and it is clear there is a lot of pro talent on these two schools, and, or, or coming out of these two schools, I should say. And it seems to me, uh, Lance, that more than ever, because of what's happened over the last more than handful of years now, with the new CBA in the NFL where you can't necessarily get these guys coached up and trained up as much as you'd like, especially as rookies, when guys can come out of their big-time college programs with some of that pro skill training, it really is a tremendous advantage to them. 100%. And these schools both get those guys already a step and a half on their way into the NFL. Well, that's why I thought what Brian said was interesting. It was based off a question that you posed to him the structure, the culture that is embedded into Wisconsin football, the types of offensive line coaches that they've brought in, Paul, has now created a cluster of players that can immediately make the transition from college to the pros, where there are other schools, you know, they run these creative, out-of-the-box schemes, then all of a sudden they get into the NFL, and they're asking them to do something completely different. See, what's interesting is that you get a few of these programs, uh, like Wisconsin, like Clemson, 
who do keep that part of the game in mind. They do want to train these guys in the pro styles, in the pro techniques, in the pro philosophies, because, yeah, for them, they're proud of the lineage of the guys that they've sent into the league. We've talked about this ad infinitum. Most college coaches are in the game to just win games. They want to win on Saturday to get that booster money, to get that alumni money, to get the sponsorships that they need because they want to drive their Saturday tailgate people crazy with victories. Well, that's fine. Okay, I get that. And that's what their job is. They're supposed to win for their college programs. However, there are clearly times when NFL scouts can look at a program or a specific school or specific coaching staff and say, no, no, their guys are a little more pro-ready than those other guys over there. And that can make a difference in where a guy gets either drafted or whether or not the guy even becomes a priority undrafted rookie free agent and winds up making the 53-man roster. Well, how much heavy lifting do you have to do with the prospect? I mean, I think that's the big question for an NFL scout. How much do you got to polish the player? Or is he as close to a finished product as possible in terms of the infrastructure of running an NFL system? And especially in the trenches where you don't get a ton of hitting in NFL training camps anymore. So at a place like Wisconsin, where they've got these guys already made, you know, Carl Banks used to love to say, you know, with these rookies, you don't just add water. Well, with some of these Wisconsin linemen, that's what you do. You just add water because they're already a step and a half ready to go. Well, and you said earlier the corn seeds have already been planted, Paul. <laughs> so, I mean, based on that parallel, I don't think there's really anything else that you need to do other than add some water. want to remind you, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. So, thanks again to Mickey and Brian for joining us with respect to Clemson and Wisconsin. We've got open phone lines. You want to give us a ring the remainder of the program? We'll certainly be happy to field some of your phone calls. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Related to the draft, related to speculation, Paul, there was a story that has emerged today that Josh Rosen, Arizona Cardinals quarterback, is going to show up for off-season workouts because there's some speculation. Other players that have been tied to trade speculation have decided to hold down and so forth. And Mm -hmm. it will be interesting to see how that plays out. And, you know, it's just another example, regardless of the overwhelming speculation that the Cardinals are going to take Murray and look to trade Josh Rosen. Sometimes teams put things out simply to create noise, to create misdirection. I think it's important that everybody takes a step back and understands that. Not to say that you should throw out everything you hear, but that doesn't mean there's a great deal of stock and substance behind everything that is reported leading up to the draft because there's a lot of teams that have agendas. Well, there are also other times where teams will put things out there just to test the waters and gain a, a sense of what the temperature is for the player. Sometimes it's pure smoke, as you suggested. Other times... They just want to get a better feel for exactly what the market might be to give themselves more information as they decide how they want to move. Well, and here's another thing you have to take into consideration. I could also see, Paul, the Cardinals drafting Kyler Murray, keeping Josh Rosen on the roster, and waiting. Quarterback gets hurt during training camp. Team now needs a quarterback. The draft is over. Not a lot of substance on the free agent market. It depends on how much Josh Rosen is on board with that. Because if, in fact, and there's a possibility, we don't know, and I, we're, we're just talking hypothetically well, here. If player A, let's let's not even put names to this. If player A doesn't like the fact that his name has been bandied about, no matter who's responsible or what the motive is, if player A doesn't like that very much and then sees a first-round draft pick, a first-overall pick, drafted at his position, there is a chance that he's not going to be very happy. Well, and I that, disagree and, with and, you there. And that it will cause a problem within your locker room and within your organization. So uh, a, a disgruntled player A is not somebody you're going to want to keep around through training camp and into the season if he is a problem. Well, you certainly have to factor that in. But I think from the coach's perspective, they would also say competition's good to help develop your roster. A lot depends on how player A responds to that. No, and that's the million-dollar question. How does Josh Rosen handle 
Kyler Murray coming to the mix if the Cardinals go that direction. All I'm saying is, is that I would not be surprised if Arizona does hold on to him because it reminds me of the Philadelphia Eagles scenario. And I know I've brought this up a lot on the show, but Philadelphia re-signed Sam Bradford, Paul. They gave him an extension. They then moved up to draft Carson Wentz. Wentz wasn't even being handed the starting reins. Bradford went into camp as the that starter. That is true. Wentz was hurt, if you remember. Teddy Bridgewater goes down. All of a sudden, the Eagles have three quarterbacks because Chase Daniel was signed mm-hmm. since he was with Doug Peterson in Kansas City, and they made a trade. So could something similar happen in Arizona? Anything's possible. That's all I'm throwing out there because, you know, everybody's counted down the days, the minutes. They're going to get rid of Rosen the day before the draft, two days right after they pick Murray. And for all we know, maybe they hold on to him. Maybe they feel that his value will increase because you know somebody's going to get hurt. It's not that we're wishing that, but that's the nature of the beast of the NFL. Somebody goes down during training camp. Somebody goes down in the spring where teams don't anticipate that. And they may all of a sudden have a need for a quarterback. And now the market changes. Well, speaking of the draft and not specifically Rosen, I had put up a a tweet yesterday uh, commenting that as of today, the Giants have 12 picks in the draft. We've discussed that before. It's the most they've had since they had 11 picks in 2003. And the last time the Giants had 12 picks in a draft was 1992, which was the last time that the NFL had 12 rounds of drafts. Now, why do I bring that up? Because we have someone who has Twittered us, or tweeted us, I guess is Twitter the proper word, right? Twitter us is a very right? interesting term. Okay. Twittered us? You like that? I like how you're I created a word. Yes. Why not? Uh, so Timothy Allen Girock says he'd forgotten about how future trade value of future draft picks can be plus one round. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, because he's asking us this question, and what I've tried to present to people is that Dave Gettleman has a stockpile of 12 draft picks in this draft, and I don't think he's going to make 12 selections. It is my opinion he will try to do something to improve either the positioning of his current picks or perhaps even combo and just flat out move up, you know, by switching rounds and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, There's also a possibility that he could use some of those picks to trade for 2020 picks. And that's where the question comes in because the gentleman who had uh, tweeted me, see, I got it right that time, there you go. who tweeted me, wanted to know what is the value of, like, if you trade one of your fifth-round picks, the Giants have three. What if you trade one of those fifth-round picks for a 2020 pick? What can you expect to get? Well, the rule of thumb in the NFL is if you trade away one of this year's rounds, you can up it by a round for next year's pick. So in other words, rule of thumb means if the Giants want to trade one of their fifth rounders this year, they can start talking about getting a fourth rounder from somebody in 2020. That's the way that the trade value usually happens, or at least... That's where you start your conversation. Whether or not it winds up that way, we know negotiations well, can always you take aim it. For at least they Doesn't can go any which way. Fruition, but but that's that's kind of the way it goes. So when you think about Gettleman's twelve picks, and and I've had critics, of course, come out on Twitter and say to me, "Well, so many of these picks are in the bottom of the draft. Who cares? It doesn't matter." Well, like I had I had a message one wise guy back this morning and say, "Did you know that two time Super Bowl champion running back Ahmad Bradshaw was a seventh round selection?" Jesse Armstead, also way down there. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, you can find players, especially if you have a good drafting eye and you spend the kind of time Gettleman spends watching tape. You can get good players with those later round picks. And it's certainly possible, let's say, that he trades maybe one of his sixes this year and gets a five next year and helps his draft lot in 2020. So there is value and saying Gettleman has a bushel of 12 picks this year. We just don't know how that value will materialize. Well, I look at it as volume. Volume Volume is good. Which gives the Giants flexibility to work with something this year, to work with something next year. I mean, Tom Brady, Antonio Brown are two other examples I would throw out late draft picks. I think it's fair to say this, Paul. Yes, fifth-rounders, sixth-rounders, seventh-rounders can yield positive returns. To just dismiss them is misleading. What the counter to that is, is it every single year that teams are hitting home runs in the 5th, 6th, and 7th rounds? No. It's a rare occurrence, but 
you can't go into the draft every year thinking, ah, we got three fives, a six, and a seven. Don't worry about it. No. You go out. You make wise picks. You give guys an opportunity to compete, try to make the roster, and see what happens. I do think, though, 12 is a lot to expect if they do make all 12 selections, let's say from a hypothetical standpoint, for all 12 of those players to realistically have a shot to make the roster, I think is very slim. That's why it would make sense if you're Dave Gettleman to package some or move some to get assets for next year. I totally agree. We have another tweet, uh, a guy, uh, Don Decker, uh, at NYG and HOG, at New York Giant and Hog. That's interesting. Well, it may be a reference to Hog Molly. It could be. It should be right up your alley. It could be. Yeah. He wants to know uh, if I've looked at Titus Howard, uh, the offensive tackle out of Alabama State. Uh, what's your analysis? Could he still be there for a third-round pick? Just seems like Gettleman, a Gettleman pick to me. Um, Howard should be there in the third round, quite frankly. Uh, my comments on him is that I see him as a right tackle. Uh, came out of high school as a quarterback, uh, converted to tight end. We were just talking about a similar situation uh, with Wisconsin with, uh, David Edwards. and David Edwards. Uh, what I wrote down on him, he's a redshirt senior. Uh, he goes uh, 6'5", 322. Of course, at Alabama State, you're talking about an FCS program. So level of competition will be the first question that has to be asked of him. Uh, the, the, the questions that I also had about his skill set, uh, use of hands, uh, as well as his footwork. Uh, definitely needed some polish. I did like his arm length, his power, uh, and let's see here. What else did I write? Oh, I can't read it too much. Oh, I liked his balance, I wrote down. I scribbled it a little bit. I got to be a little more clear yeah, on something. Well, I mean, when you you're doing this at 3 o'clock, scratch. when you're doing this at 3 o'clock in the morning, by the time you've watched the 20th offensive tackle, you know, sometimes it gets a little blurry. Well, maybe that's an indication you need to stop for the day so that you could pick it up the following day and then the handwriting is a little bit more clear. I get obsessed with these guys. I understand that. But remember, it's all about the final product, not necessarily ever, in the moment. You ever see that TV show or that movie where suddenly somebody's at his desk and then they give you that little time lapse on the screen and all of a sudden they show you the clock the and clock, it's like five movie, hours yeah, later? And then the guy is probably That happens to desk. me every time I, I watch tape. Now, you know how, how many meals I've missed? How many times have you fallen asleep at your workstation? It's happened. And you what? You wake up the next morning and... No, usually like an hour and a half later, I'll wake oh, up so realizing... I'll doze off for I'll doze an hour, off, hour and a half. Okay. And with my head on the desk and the tape running in front of me, realizing yeah. that, oh, wow. Oh, I was I was looking at linebackers just now. <laughs> and, and, and lo and behold, oh, it's 3.30 in the morning. And last I remember, it was 2 o'clock. So that does happen. Well, at least you find a way to uh, get some sleep in. It's naps. Force. They're naps. naps. Okay. It's not sleep. It's naps. naps. But anyway, so um, arms, uh, I've got power, and I've got balance for Titus Howard as good things. So, yes, I, I do think, though, with the level of comp, he'll be there in the third round. Um, I'm probably more excited about guys coming out of bigger programs partly because of that pro-ready aspect we already talked about. You know, for Titus Howard, I'm not suggesting that he can't be a legitimate NFL prospect because I believe that he is. He's probably going to need more time, more polish, more work, and more elbow grease to get him ready. And I think that the Giants probably are much more likely to draft a plug-and-play right tackle from a bigger school than they would to go after Howard. Again, not to say that he wouldn't be on their radar. Yeah, I mean, listen, we've seen offensive linemen from smaller programs get drafted, so it can it's happen. not a red flag. You know, there's been some guys from D3 programs that have made it to the NFL. It's all about technique. It's all about whether Ali or not— Ali Marpet, right? Ali Marpet, that was the exact guy. He went to, I think, Hobart, right? Yes. If I'm correct, so for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So there's uh, one guy that comes to mind, rare, but certainly something to take into consideration. One last thing I want to throw out related to the actual current roster before we sign off. This story may have gone under the radar, but the Giants did waive Quadri Henderson yesterday. Yes. The reason I wanted to bring that up, Paul, I was very high on him last year when the Giants added him. I thought there was a lot of potential. Unfortunately, dealt with some injuries, had a shoulder injury, was placed on IR in November. But when he was a return man, he did flash, and he showed a lot of promise. What I think you have to understand with a move like this is the Giants acquiring Jabril Peppers, who has been a main punt and kickoff return guy for Cleveland. He's now going to be relied upon, and they're bringing back Corey Coleman, Paul. So yes. between Coleman 
and Peppers, the opportunity for somebody else to just make the roster as mainly a special teamer, I think is extremely slim. So I think this is more about Henderson having an opportunity to maybe claim a job elsewhere as opposed to realistically having a shot to carve something out with the Giants. Well, let me also add this. I do believe that the Giants do need a skyscraping receiver in the room. Amadi Toomer and I talked about this on the show the other day. I, I do favor having at least one of them in the room. The AAF just folded. And again, another thing that I posted on Twitter, Charles Johnson, the former Minnesota Viking, yeah. who had his most productive years, 14, 15, and 16, with Minnesota, Pat Shermer was a offensive assistant on that Viking squad. And Johnson, 6'2 and a half, has some length, has speed, has come off of some injuries, has been in a couple of different camps. Last year actually came to camp with the Jets, but coming off that ACL injury from the previous year, he was unable to make the team. Well, he goes to the AAF this spring and leads that league in receptions, receiving yards, caught five touchdown passes, I think he averaged like 15 yards a grab. Yeah, he was one of the most productive wideouts. He was really. the yeah. most productive wideout by far in the league. I think he's got to get another look by somebody in the NFL because now he's two years removed from the ACL, which is the usual MO for guys coming off of that surgery. I I would not be adverse if I were looking for a tall wide receiver in the room to giving this guy a look. Well, and there's been plenty of AAF players that have been signed over the last few days, even hours, in the National Football League. So teams are clearly looking to add to their rosters. You get 90 guys on the roster right now. There's no harm in trying to bring in some extra competition. All right, that is going to wrap up the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. And a reminder, it is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. Certainly appreciate everybody for tuning in today as well as all week long. Have a very enjoyable weekend. We'll be back up and running on Monday. We'll continue to preview all of the draft prospects from various schools to get you set for a draft that is less than a month away. How about that? Yes, that should get everybody excited, including my partner here, Paul Dettino. Let's go! For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Friday, and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.